We're talking about a huge amount of money here. It was an average of $230,000 a year. Uh, in 2017 was by far their biggest year. They made almost $460,000. And that year they were selling five pairs of skis. It, it would amount to five pairs of skis per day for 365 days. Not going to be all snow. A wintry mix is forecast for the listening area. Alex Kaufman, Wintry Mix, episode 80. I've lived in Boulder, Vail, Avon, Edwards, Redcliffe, Walcott, Steamboat, and now 20 years later, Golden. But I've never, ever been to Aspen. Basalt is as close as I've ever been. More my kind of town, I guess. Episode 80 takes us to Aspen, just a bit further up the Roaring Fork River Valley to get the scoop on a recent ski town crime story that doesn't exactly fit the mold. The theft and subsequent eBay resale of up to $6 million worth of skis over a dozen plus years, orchestrated by a longtime executive within the Aspen Skiing Company. My guest to discuss this is Aspen Times reporter Jason Auslander, who has been covering the recent developments. We spoke January 24th, so keep that in mind depending on when you listen. Other episodes you might want to explore include 78, which was a deep dive into the realities of I-70 congestion, 74, which was live from Eldora's opening day, 69, which is just a damn good time at Schweitzer in Idaho, and maybe go deep to 41 with the former chief executive of Steamboat. Wintry Mix is skiing's variety show since 2015. Follow the podcast on Instagram at Wintry Mixcast. When you pump out the pod in your story and tag it, I'll send you some free stickers, like that day, automatically. There's also a podcast voicemail and text line, 802-560-5003. Call it and vent or sing a song or ask a question or make the sound of a moose. Any questions or partnership inquiries can be emailed to alex at wintrymixcast.com. That's me. Five-star ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts mean I will owe you a beer in the wild. And they'll make you a helper. Thank you. Stand by for the goods. This episode of Wintry Mix is supported by the Ten Barrel Brewing Company and Bojo's Colorado Style Pizza. With five locations along the Front Range and another in Steamboat, Bojo's is your gotta-try-it-to-believe-it Colorado Style Pizza destination since 1973. These are mountain pies, measured by the pound. Don't worry, they have skinny prairie pies too for any scaredy cats. Locals and visitors return to Bojo's for the unrivaled pizza, family-friendly salad bar, and relaxed atmosphere. You'll see. Also a great spot for your party or fundraiser with groups of 20 or more. Visit locations in Idaho Springs, the original, Evergreen, Arvada, Fort Collins, Steamboat, and Longmont. The Ten Barrel Brewing Company opened a massive brew pub in Denver's River North District in 2017, and their Pray for Snow Winter Seasonal gives 1% of sales to protect our winters. 
And here comes the spring seasonal Snake Run Double IPA. Watch out. But they don't just make beer, they make fun outside on snow. Track the movements of the beer cat, taking their latest flicks like Hold My Beer and Walks This, or scope the dates of the next Hella Big Air on 10barrel.com. Get to the brew pubs in Boise, Denver, Bend, Portland, and San Diego, and until then, find 10 Barrel in a refrigerated section near you. Or find me, and I'll give you one in the wild. Right, we are internet connected. Golden to Aspen, the Roaring Fork Valley. Jason Auslander, thanks for uh, joining the pod. Thanks for having me. And we're going to jump right in. If you could just give us an idea as to the story we're going to discuss today, what just occurred in the last kind of four to five days? Okay, so um, a guy named Derek Johnson, who was a longtime executive for the Aspen Skiing Company, which owns they don't own the ski mountains, but they own all the infrastructure. They own hotels, they own rental shops. They're, you know, they're in charge of the skiing around here and the four ski mountains in the Aspen area. He was a longtime executive for them and he headed their rental and retail division for 17 years or so. He was also a former um, city councilman, a one-term city councilman, and he ran, he served on the city council from 2009 to 2013, and he ran for mayor in 2013. Um, he was just sentenced to six years in prison for stealing more than 13,000 pairs of skis from the Aspen Skiing Company that he ordered as part of his job as head of the rental and retail division that he and his wife later sold on eBay for $3 million, more than three. I've heard 3.2 million is the, is what they made. And the ski company valued that at $6 million. So he just got sentenced to six years in prison for that. Wow. And that story uh, ended recently, but I think has been unfolding for more than a decade. We'll, we'll kind of go back to the beginning. But first, Jason, uh, how long have you been in the Valley and a little history on your, your reporting and how you got onto the story? Yeah, I have been here for four and a half years now at the Aspen Times. Um, before that, 20 years ago, I, I worked at the Aspen Daily News for a year and a half um, during my ski bum years, I guess. I was less a ski bum because it was more of a real job. But So I've got some connection here. Like I said, I've been here for four and a half years now at the Aspen Times. I cover crime for them. Is, is that your exclusive beat? There's enough crime. No, I also cover county government and whatever else needs to be done. You know, we're a pretty small staff. And do you recall when you first caught wind of the story? What was the first article that, that you published? Well, so people who have worked in Aspen and at the Aspen Times, especially our um, ski company beat reporter, Scott Condon, who's been at the newspaper for decades. He's a he's very well connected. And also another reporter, Carolyn Zacharias, who's been around for a long time. They started the, the you know networks start tingling, the spidey senses start going and People start saying something's going on. This guy's not at work. Something big is happening. And they were the ones who did the initial reporting on it because they had the sources. But this is what what ends up coming out is that there's, you know, something having to do with an eBay account. And we got the name of the eBay and you could kind of look and see how many transactions. And sure enough, it had been going on for quite a while. So we got the sort of gist of the story when it kind of came to light around November of 2018. 
And the story, to my understanding, at least the way you guys have reported it, kind of starts back in 1993. Um, Derek Johnson has been in the Valley for, for decades and had his own shop, right? Yeah, I remember when I was here, which was 90, 95 to 97. And D&E, D Derek, Derek and a guy named Eric uh, formed the D&E, founded the D&E snowboard shop in the early 90s here in Aspen. And, you know, if you'll recall, those were the sort of um, outlaw years for snowboarding. People weren't, I was a snowboarder. I was learning to snowboard at that time. And people, you still couldn't snowboard on Aspen Mountain and you wouldn't be able to for quite a while. Uh, people hated on snowboarders quite a bit more than they do today. So it was kind of a radical thing to do to form this snowboard shop. And they were sort of a radical shop in town for a long, long time. Um, and then they eventually sold it to the Aspen Skiing Company, to Skico. At that time, uh, Derek was made an executive. I don't know if it was part of the deal or what, I wasn't here at the time, but he ended up as an executive uh, for them as rental retail in the rental retail division. And this is also kind of when the internet starts kind of being important. Yep. So in those early 2000s, um, and almost all shops have gear they need to offload at the end of the year, at the end of the season, it's a pretty common thing throughout the industry. Some shops kind of make their living on reselling demos, things like that. It's a fairly standard thing throughout the business. And from what I understand, Aspen and D&E, after they combined, were sampling in those same technologies. How do we offload gear? And Derek and Aspen were working together on that project at the outset, right? Well, yeah, more or less. The, the interesting thing about that is that we had sort of heard, nobody in town had heard Aspen, the Aspen Skiing Company's story about what, what happened here until just recently in the past really week. Um, there were rumors in town. A lot of people were, Derek was around town. He was working at a popular restaurant here in town called the Hickory House. And so he was, he was visible. He was around town and um, nobody had heard kind of, we had heard people griping about, you know, Skiko owes, owes, owes employees money. Derek kind of, kind of, kind of cut into people's wages somehow, but these were just rumors at the time. So uh, last Last week, what are we, Friday? Last week, um, I was preparing to figure out some kind of story that I was going to do to kind of set up the sentencing on Tuesday. And I was asking the court for the letters that had been written mostly in his favor. And I was going to write a story based on those. And so on Thursday, right before five o'clock, um, I got a note from a clerk saying, hey, we got these other letters. And he had, he, had, he had given me, he was kind of forwarding me when he'd get them, he would, I would add to what I got. So he said, I've got some from Mike Kaplan, who's the CEO of the Aspen Skiing Company and some other Skiko executives. Do you want those? And I was like, uh, yeah, I do. So he sent them to me and I read them on Friday morning and I was like, whoa, whoa, these were bombshell. Yeah. Okay. So I get it. So the things that are in the last week of reporting is stuff that wasn't known in the last two years. It just became known in the last week. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And so it finally people are hearing at the Aspen Skiing Company side of the story. So uh, their side is that in the beginning, 
Derek and the ski company entered into some kind of contract, whether it was written down or verbal or what, I don't know. But they would sell, Derek would sell the uh, excess, the, the, they were calling them salvage, the, the skis that had kind of uh, lasted throughout their life in the ski company and they're ready to dump them. So they formed this partnership and they did it for, uh, Derek tells prosecutors four years. If you read the ski company's letters, it sounds more like a couple years, but whatever the case may be, the partnership ended a few years later and because it wasn't enough profit for the both of them. So by mutual agreement um, between Derek and executives at the ski company, they ended this partnership a few years later because it, there just wasn't enough money in it. So unbeknownst to them, according to these letters, Derek didn't actually stop selling these salvage skis. He, in fact, started ordering more demo skis, two to three, eventually two to three times more than the company actually needed. Um, these are often high-end skis that they'll give to VIPs and things like that. But um, actually, one of the ski company executives in his sentencing said that at one point they needed uh, like 200 and Derek ordered like 600. So he's essentially charging the ski company for the inventory that he would later sell online on eBay. So, you know, that's the, that's the crux of the scheme. And he just kept doing it for between 12 and 13 years. He set up, he had a warehouse space down Valley a bit. He and his wife would, you know, advertise these skis and pack them up in boxes. They would, they would actually charge the ski company, according to police and prosecutors, for the ski boxes that they would send the skis to their eBay customers in. Yeah, $42,000 worth of boxes. Yeah, I, I believe that's right. It was something like that. I mean, we're talking about huge amounts of money here. It was an average of $230,000 a year. Uh, in 2017 was by far their biggest year. They made almost $460,000. And that year they were selling five pairs of skis. It, it would amount to five pairs of skis per day for 365 days. And Skiko's main excuse or reasoning for the fact that this went on for so long before anybody catching wind of it was what? You know, it's interesting. There wasn't a whole lot of that in Mike Kaplan or another senior vice president's letter that we used in our stories. But in the sentencing, David Clark, who's a, one of the lawyers for Ski Company and read a pretty forceful and long statement, uh, said, you know, how did he get away with it for all these years? It's simple. We trusted Derek Johnson. And a lot of the, the letters do talk about, you know, this was a family run business. I mean, they, they, they employ 4,000 people in this valley. They're by far the biggest employer, but it was, it's, a, it's, a, it's owned by one family, the Crown family from Chicago. And, you know, it was run like a, a family business on these people were friends with this guy for, you know, a decade and a half. Their kids played together. They vacationed together. They, you know, so this was a, this was a betrayal that was deep and, 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 hard to take for a lot of these guys. So in the letters, they talk about how this is not the same company anymore. And, you know, we're sorry about that, uh, but that's the way it is. You know, we've got more supervision. We're, we're, we're paying more attention. We're more like Big Brother now, and it's because of Derek. And so over the course of more than a decade, they're ever increasingly 
selling these skis, whether they're used or not, buying more of them than need to come in in order to do this. They have a storage unit down Valley. Uh, they've got an eBay account um, that's just firing them through. And then something changes. There's a red flag. Somebody says something. I think it was in 2017. Um, and I read that that year, when that person kind of raised the flag, it was kind of pushed aside until the next year. I don't know the ins and outs of how it actually happened in the ski company. Um, there's a woman, a vice president, who was brought in at the tail end of Derek's tenure. And she had a letter in this kind of sheaf of letters from Skiko people um, saying uh, she maybe she's the one who initiated. She was partnered with him to sort of do some branding and marketing, and he was head of the rental and uh, stores and that sort of thing. Um, so it maybe maybe bringing her uh, aboard. Um, kicked things down but you know keep in mind that he didn't get caught until november of 2018 like 2017 may have been the last year full year that they sold these skis but they got almost all the way through 2018 they were still making big money i think part of it was that this senior vice president who has asked us not to name him in stories for whatever reason um and he was told by the district attorney that his story wouldn't be public so we said okay Kind of grudgingly said okay to this but he um he was the one who eventually became derek's supervisor and these guys were, were pretty good friends so he says in his letter um you know it was it was a tough transition i was wondering how this was going to happen and while he doesn't exactly say uh i started seeing some suspicious stuff it wasn't long after before Derek got caught. So I don't know if I'm putting two and two together, but that may be, it may have played a role as well. And I mean, there was eventually just video footage of skis going into a truck and then GPS of the truck. I mean, you guys reported that. Yeah, it was, and it's been a while since I wrote that story, but yeah, as I recall, they, you know, it, it's part and parcel of sort of his MO is like he was using the Skiko companies to move these skis around from, from Skiko warehouse to his warehouse. And so they had a guy who had, at the end of the season, sort of arranged the skis in different piles. And like the good ones over here, the, the salvage ones over here, the medium ones and whatever. And Derek came back and rearranged everything and took all the good ones. And so I think that was certainly part of the evidence against him that police outlined uh, in some warrants that were filed in court people just get less careful over time. I mean, you report on crime. You've probably seen that trend. Yeah, I mean, he'd been getting away with it for over 12 years. You know, he he stole and sold almost three pairs of skis per day, every day for 12 years. I mean, it's staggering amounts of money and amounts of skis. And he was selling snowboards and some gear and that sort of thing too. And they also talk about how the fact that, you know, his doing that really flooded the market around here. So it affected Skiko's own business. It affected other rental shops in town. It affected, there's a play, there's a used sporting and goods store here in town. I'm sure they felt it, you know, I mean, it's, it had a ripple effect, but more than that, it had a ripple effect on the ski company employees. And, you know, these people lost, it's a performance-based business. So they lost out on bonuses. Well, it, the, the ski company, the CEO, Mike Kaplan, says that 
for most of the years that Derek was head of this division, he didn't make budget. So that meant that his employees didn't get bonuses, performance-based bonuses. They didn't get, they lost out on 401k contributions. They didn't get raises. You know, it, it, it's a ripple effect. And, you know, he was, and, and in his letter, he's like, basically, he was stealing from his own employees. Right. Because if you're just artificially inflating your expenses, it doesn't matter what you're doing with your revenue. Well, and also, you know, he's getting away with it tax-free. You know, he's making $230,000 a year tax-free. On top of a salary of like 116,000 was the last I saw he made, I think in 2017. And so we just had the sentencing, I think it was six years, mm -hmm. but the process to that sentencing, you, you've discussed the letters from the ski, ski co folks, um, but there were also a lot of letters in support, as you mentioned, family man involved in the community. Um, you know, what's that kind of push and pull like? How much support has he had? Here's my feeling on it. He's got a lot of support. A lot of people like him. Uh, there was a, a, a long time and current county commissioner wrote a letter. Uh, a member of the Snowmass Village Town Council wrote a letter. A guy who's been a multiple, he's served multiple terms on the county commission, multiple terms uh, as mayor, wrote a letter. A lot of people wrote a letter. I think he's got, he's well liked. You know, he's, he, was a, he was a football coach at the high school. He served on the junior hockey board. He... You know, he, uh, he mentored a lot of kids as 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 a, as a coach. You know, he's he's supposedly a great father. I'm sure that he is a great father. He's got three kids, um, so you know he was well liked. Um, but you know, I know at least one person who wrote a letter was a little bit annoyed at us and 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 understood in the end, but that his name was in the story about the people that were supporting him and asking for leniency in that he didn't know the story about that the ski company told, which was why I thought it was so important to tell it. And I really wanted to use this senior vice president's name in the story. And I realized, and I totally understand why we under, why we made the decision that we did. And I think it was the right decision. Um, but it was a story that is really important to this community to hear what happened because, you know, whether he was, people have said he was out there minimizing it. He wasn't, you know, he had apologized to some, but nobody really knew the whole story. That's why this was so important. And importantly, in the, importantly enough, the, I got those letters on uh, the Thursday. I reported the story basically on Friday and we held it until Monday. Monday was a holiday. Tuesday morning, the district attorney filed a motion to seal those letters. And the judge granted it, and he had a kind of a caveat saying, unless it's you know objected to by a member of the media or the public, and then we can talk about it after that. But so those letters are no longer publicly available. And you know, I you know, I, I think it's a real shame that the ski company didn't more actively get their story out because it's important that people knew it. It got out in some fashion or another. Thankfully, you know, you got access to those letters and were able to do your reporting on them. The family. So three kids, you know, rooted in the community. His wife, Carrie, I believe, took a plea deal, won't serve any time. Do you expect them to stay in the area? Will that work? I think it sounds like that that's their plan. I mean, I'm sure that she will. She's got kids that are in, you know, the schools here. Uh, so uh, she is set to be sentenced next month. The 
prosecution agreed not to um, ask for prison in it. That doesn't mean that the judge can't give her any time in the county jail. He can give her up to 90 days. So she may get some time, but you know, I think it was, and I know that her lawyers really pushed the prosecutor saying that she didn't know about this, that she just thought this was a sanctioned scheme. And the prosecutor, you know, held his ground and said, I don't, I don't buy that. And so she did plead to a felony. She pled to felony theft and she will be a convicted felon. And she probably will, will be on probation for quite a while. Cause I mean, I don't, the, even the, 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 the guy, David Clark, who spoke at the sentencing from the ski company was like, she was his bookkeeper. What did she just think that she was, he was getting all of this for free because they never paid any taxes. They, I, I expect that they will. He 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 as much he said as much in his statement that he hopes that he'll be able to come back and be accepted and be able to still give back to the community and continue to apologize to people and that kind of thing. So I don't think he's got any plans of going anywhere. Yeah, I mean, there's there's no winners, and after he serves his time, whatever that ends up being, you know, one hopes that there can be healing of some kind. Aspen, crime. So there's, you know, there's crime in Telluride, there's crime in Vail, there's crime in Tahoe. What do you think makes Aspen ski town crime different from anywhere else, if at all? Well, I always say there's two kinds of stories I write here. I write about cocaine, I write about people embezzling from rich people. So those are the two main stories. I mean, it's, it's frequently cocaine related. I was just telling a story about, right when I got here, I wrote a story about a guy who was found across from a, a restaurant that has since closed, but it was a long time watering hole here in town called Little Annie's. And he was across the street from Little Annie's on a stone bench and he was chopping up a line of cocaine. This was like midnight or something on the stone bench that he was sitting on. And the cops came up and were like, what are you doing? And he wipes the cocaine off the bench. He's like, nothing officer. And the officer stands him up and says, tilt your head back and, and says, what's all that white stuff in your nose? And the guy's like, well, officer, it's cocaine. Of course it's cocaine, it's Aspen. And that story went completely viral. And this guy had a really distinctive name and you know, it had some blowback on him that was relatively serious. But the story that I was telling was that he stopped an officer a couple of years later, was like, it was the best thing that ever happened to me. I got sober, my life, I got my life together, you know, all this. So um, yeah, Aspen crime is basically drugs and theft. Occasionally there'll be like, uh, you know, JFK's grandson getting into a fight at a at a club or something like that, kind of celebrity related, because it's Aspen, you know, it's like Manhattan in the mountains. Yeah, no, I can imagine. You probably know exactly which stories are going to blow up and which ones are not. I don't actually, you know, I mean, it's, it's sometimes you're like, I know this is going to go crazy and nobody cares. Or then sometimes, sometimes you do. It depends. It depends, especially if you have a video clip, obviously, like television, you know, it's all video. So if you have that, but generally I don't, I've just got somebody saying something stupid to a cop and it makes it into a police report. And then I believe the judge took into account some other recent kind of similar cases um, embezzlement wise in the area uh, with the sentencing. Um, what kind of impact did that have? Well, I think the judge who had who had adjudicated two of those cases because they're relatively recent, um, he's been there just about as long as I've been in town, so about four years, four and a half. I think he just took him as a guide. One of them was a woman who embezzled like six hundred and sixty thousand, I believe, um, from her sister, 
who was a doctor at a woman's clinic, and this woman was the office manager. Um, and she received probation, although the judge noted, and at her sentencing, he also said the same thing, is that he would have given her prison had her sister probably wanted it and had the prosecution not agreed to say, we don't recommend it, basically. She got probation, quite a bit of it. And also she had started, she had, she had returned about $110,000 worth of like cash and jewelry to the clinic. So she had begun paying some restitution. Uh, the other was a woman who had, uh, she headed a nonprofit here in town that was a city owned thing, but it was run by a, by a council. She was head of the council and she embezzled $125,000. Uh, for a business, she meant to pay it back. The judge made that distinction, um, and she got probation, but partially because the day of her plea, she wrote a check for $50,000 that was like a little bit less than half of what she owed in restitution. So I think that was a deciding factor there. And also her, you know, continuing to pay on that. Like the judge noted that Derek's got, Derek and his wife have to pay back $250,000 here, which was the ski company's insurance deductible and said he doubted that would ever happen. I mean, that's a quarter of a million dollars that, you know, so. So they're 2.4 million or 3 million or whatever that amount is. There's no restitution as part of this deal. No one's expecting to get any of that back. Oh no, that that's their restitution is the two hundred fifty thousand dollars that they need to pay the ski company back for the two, the ski company had to pay that to their insurance company as the deductible on whatever claim that they filed, which you would imagine was probably about six million dollars, because that's what they put the value at the stolen goods up. So, um, and then the third case the judge talked about was one that he didn't adjudicate, but happened down in Garfield County in Glenwood Springs, where a woman who worked for the clerk and the Garfield County Clerk and Recorder's Office embezzled $450,000, $440,000 while working there. And she got, initially the judge gave her 10 years in prison. And then that sentence was overturned and she lowered it by a year in a resentencing to nine years. So that woman got nine years. And you know, perhaps the distinction being that she was stealing public funds and Derek wasn't, I don't know, maybe. Yeah, I wonder if there was a quicker jump to payback restitution of some kind, whether that would have impacted the sentencing in any significant way. Yeah, maybe. The, it seemed pretty egregious in this. In, in, in reading stories, I didn't cover this woman's case down in Glenwood, but uh, she seemed pretty unrepentant about it. I mean, more in uh, the Johnson case. Oh, maybe. Yeah, I think that maybe had something to do with it. But I think in more it was the judge noted that Johnson's case dwarfs, quote unquote, these other cases. I mean, Johnson's is six million dollars. We're talking about a serious chunk of money, um, which, you know, it's fair to say, why didn't the ski company miss that for 12 and a half years? But that's probably a different story we won't get an answer to. But um, it, it, it was a, it's a lot of money. I mean, that's that's. 10 times the most of any of those three cases. So I think that definitely, and also, you know, despite the fact that the probation department recommended a six month sentence, you know, the judge was fully aware and noted in the sentencing that the community was watching this. And had he heeded that recommendation and given him a six months in the county jail, and let me tell you, if you want to do, if you have to do time in, in any jail in this country, probably, 
the Pitkin County Jail is the one you want to choose. <laughs> I mean, it's pretty, it's, as far as it goes, it's not a bad place. So the community would have been like, you know, even if he'd had to do 1500 hours of community service or something, still that would not have satisfied. And I think the judge knew that. And also, you know, it was, this went on for a long time. It affected a lot of people and it was a lot of money. And the, the timing I find interesting in that you mentioned kind of the family business element of things, but something happened just before this all started getting figured out, which was Aspen teamed up with other groups and probably had to get its books in order and probably had more people looking at its books. That's KSL and the creation of Altera and all of that kind of teamwork with other organizations all of a sudden kind of teaming with you from a financial perspective. That happened. And then this started getting sniffed out. I wonder if that's, you know, random or related. That's a good point. And I hadn't thought about it. I thought, I think that it's, it's a good point. It may, it may well play into it. I don't know. I have not heard that, but again, I'm not the ski company reporter. So I don't, Scott would be a better person to talk to about that, but I think it's a good point. It's definitely possible. So crime, real life, people having real challenges and it being reported on. You guys have two daily papers in that town, I think. We do. But you're also a tourism town. Right. I've been on the tourism side and generally don't like the warts going out to the world when you're the tourism group. What's it like being the, you know, kind of beat reporter on the things that the humans are doing wrong in the area in a town that is kind of, you know, driven by the tourism trade um is there friction there or are you able to just kind of go about your business or do you occasionally uh, you know end up in a little bit of conflict with the folks who just want you know rainbows and butterflies uh the rainbows and butterflies crowd i don't have a lot of contact with thankfully you know i that's that would be like the chamber and business owners and things like that i don't and I don't get the feeling that they make a big deal out of stuff like that. You know, this is a this is a this is a vibrant, pretty progressive town, and has been for most of its most of its modern existence. So you know, the the police department and the the sheriff's office here are, without a doubt, some of the most liberal in the country. Um, they so. Where I, from my point of view, where I sometimes get crosswise with authority is with the police department, the Aspen Police Department in particular, is when they make a decision that, that I don't agree with in terms of, usually it's in terms of releasing records. For instance, there was New Year's Eve, there were two 18-year-old high school kids in the bathroom of one of the clubs here. And one of them was, the, the girl was passed out drunk. The guy got arrested for sexual assault on on a on an unconscious person or something, and I tried to get the police report for that, and they told me that was contrary to the public interest, which is what they can do under open records law in this state. There's nothing that I can do about that. So that's when I get crossways when I think that I should be able to. This kid, you know, he's 18. He may be in high school, but he's still at 18. And I'm not even saying that I throw his name out there. I'm just saying they won't even tell me what happened. So it's it's stuff like that, but generally the the um, I think the town would probably be more upset if something like that was sanctioned by the rainbows and butterflies crowd and and a, attempt at censorship was made than the actual warts coming to the surface. This is you know this town has the largest and and 
the largest and probably best affordable housing program in the world in a resort town. There's 3,000 deed-restricted units here that allow a good chunk of the working class to live here. Otherwise, we'd be veiled. So I think that that adds to the sort of uh, let it all hang out attitude. All right. So visitors are coming to town. They want to have a good time. Maybe they're going to do illegal things. Maybe they're not. A couple tips to keep them out of the paper. <laughs> uh, God, I've never been asked that before. I mean, don't be stupid. <laughs> you know, I get that you're on vacation and that, you know, this town really, like of all the substances that are available here, alcohol is the most insidious like it is just anywhere else. And that's when, you know, I know officers who don't like to work at night because they're just like, I can't deal with the drugs anymore. Um, so God, you know, it's going to have to rise for me to put you in the paper for a drunken, stupid tourist stuff, <laughs> but Hey, it happens. Uh, do you think the, uh, the Johnson story is complete? Are you going to be writing more about it? What do you anticipate for that in the future? Do you think this just, this is done now? Well, I'll write about, about his wife being sentenced next month. It's I think the 18th. So I'll certainly write about whatever she gets. I mean, I'll be curious to see whether the judge gives her any jail time, um, which would be an indicator of whether he believes she knew it was going on or not. But beyond that, I mean, I don't, I wrote one other story about, you know, we talked about the cases the judge, the judge kind of considered in, in the sentencing, but beyond that, I don't think so. No, I mean, I think he's gonna be, I think it'll be, there was a lot of talk in the letters and the sentencing that it'd be good sort of healing for the com for the community, those who were affected by this. And again, it's the largest employer. They have a lot of retail stores. They have a lot of rental shops. And so, I mean, I think it, it'll be good to have a break. It's a pretty forgiving town. I don't, I don't expect he'll have a whole lot of difficulty coming back in two and a half or three years. Okay. Well, I'll be watching for your, uh, your reporting there, so don't go anywhere. All right. Well, thanks, man. Good talking to you. Thanks for the time, Jason. You got it. And it's fact time. Aspen was originally called Ute City, but was renamed in 1880 and briefly exceeded the silver production of Leadville in 1891 and 1892. In 1893, the silver market collapsed and Aspen lost population until the mid-20th century when skiing showed up. The most recent ski area to be added in the region was Snowmass in 1967. And I have never done cocaine. Surprising, right? But it's true. Facts matter, folks. Insist on them. Theme music by Adam Levy. Toss me those five-star Apple Podcast ratings if you want to be a helper. And follow on Instagram at Wintry Mixcast or find the show on Facebook or Twitter. Leave the pod a voicemail or text at 802-560-5003 and good chance I'll get it into an episode. Stick around for After the Beep.
Goodbye. Oh, yeah. And holy shit. Um, the episode after this one, 81, is a panel episode with Mark Warner, the low pressure podcast guy, Adam Jabber, the out of bounds podcast guy, and Mike Powell, the Powell Movement podcast guy. That's right. Me, the variety show guy, does a panel episode with those three pro celebrity gear interviewer guys. And it's friggin' crazy. And it's from Outdoor Retailer. And I should probably get started in editing it because it's going to take a lot of work. But it'll be fun. 81 coming at you eventually.